What's up, everybody? You're listening to Checking for Jesus, where I try to decode biblical principles from the random happenings in my life. I'm your host, Crystal Meanwhile, and every Wednesday, I'll tell you a story about something that made me say, Jesus, is that you? I promise you're going to laugh and learn at the same time. If we all get better at recognizing Jesus in the details of our lives, we become more sensitive to his presence and ultimately more inclined to do what he says. So, Crystal, meanwhile, what are we talking about today? What's up, everybody? Today's episode is about worth waiting for. So every year for Thanksgiving, my family and I would pack up from D.C. and we would head down to the country to visit my father's side of the family. Six hours of tree-lined roads, starry night skies, mountains in the distance. We were driving all the way to Martinsville, Virginia. My family's homes were literally built along the road on the side of a mountain. And these weren't planned developments either, where every house looks the same and you talk to your neighbors over a fence. It was just one house on the side of the road. Mountain in the front, mountain in the back. No street lights on the road. <laughs> when people drove by in their cars, they honked their horn and they threw their hands up out the window to wave. My late Great Aunt Cece loved to see us. She would be so excited. She would open that door, stand outside with her hands on her hips, and she would greet us with a great big hug and a smile. The truth is, she was still up preparing Thanksgiving dinner. She and she alone made a mean Thanksgiving spread. Turkey, ham, lamb, and duck were standard meat products on the table every year. Stuffing, green beans, sweet potatoes, mac and cheese, potato salad, collard greens, corn and tomato, mashed potatoes, gravy. And we'd finish it all off with her banana pudding. Everybody loved the banana pudding. My Uncle John would always come over early the next day, Thanksgiving Day, and he'd take all the kids out hiking. It wasn't a lot of us. It was pretty much me, my brother, and my cousin Albert. (laughs) We would go to the trunk. He would get his rifle throw it over his shoulder, and we'd start our journey up or down the mountainside. And it would be an hour or hour and a half to walk to the edge of the land. And my uncle would tell us stories about things that we would see along the way. Sometimes he'd even set up old tin cans and let us fire off the rifle to see if we could knock one down. We'd work up a nice appetite on these hikes. And there was nothing like coming back, running in the house, and smelling all the food as dinner time was fast approaching. Right about 3 or 4, I'd help Aunt Cece prepare the table. We'd get the little extender that goes in the middle of the table to make it longer. we put that in place, and then we'd start placing all the food on the table. And we'd hold hands, stand around the table, say grace, and eat until our bellies were full. It wasn't until I got a little older and started preparing Thanksgiving dinner for my own family that I realized the amount of work involved in pulling off what my Aunt Cece seemed to do so effortlessly by herself. Not only did it require energy and time, but good God, the cost of food is ridiculous. Cooking Thanksgiving dinner requires serious planning, like at least a week in advance. First thing you got to do is evaluate your operational capacity. Do you have enough pots and pans, cutting boards, mixing bowls, serving dishes, and storage containers? 
Because turkeys are generally sold rock solid at the grocery store, it takes about three or four days for them to thaw in the fridge. Do you know how big a turkey is? Do you know how much you have to clear out of your refrigerator just to fit the turkey in there to thaw for three or four days? Do you know you have to keep that amount of space that you have available in your refrigerator in mind when you're shopping for the rest of your groceries so that everything that needs to go in the refrigerator can fit? It is not a game. <laughs> it's not a game. Cooking Thanksgiving dinner is a labor of love that I've had the pleasure of doing for my kids so that we can create Thanksgiving memories of our own. The only drawback of cooking Thanksgiving dinner is having to constantly taste the food to make sure that it's right. You know, does it need more butter? Do you need more salt? More sage? Less thyme? I want the food to be good so I taste, right? Like this is normal cooking behavior. Why is this a drawback? Because by the time the food is done and the table is prepared and I've set all the food on the table, it looks good, smells good, I'm not even hungry. I fix a small plate, take a few bites, and I'm good. All of that tasting to make sure everything is good, all those little nibbles and bites just stick to my ribs. And by the time I get to the table, I'm full. So, Crystal, what are we talking about? I started thinking to myself, this whole eating and nibbling and being full, this is a little like celibacy. Not a little. This is a lot like celibacy. Oh, yeah? How so? Okay, so before we get into celibacy, let's talk about love. According to the science of people, there are three stages of love, lust, attraction, and attachment. Each stage triggers a different neurochemical result. You know I'm a nerd, so let's talk science. Lust. Lust is erotic passion. It is the pure rush of sex hormones. I'm talking estrogen and testosterone. The same stuff that rages during puberty. Tank in one of his songs asked and answered, Who came to make sweet love? Not me. This stage is all about satisfying curiosities and scratching itches. Has nothing to do with love. It is about satisfying the body. Attraction. Attraction is romantic passion. It's adrenaline, dopamine, and serotonin. When you are attracted to someone, adrenaline makes your heart skip a beat. Dopamine makes you want to bottle up your feelings and share them with the world. And serotonin regulates your attention so you can't get that person off your mind. Troop said... All I do is think of you day and night. <laughs> this is when you start catching feelings. And all these good feelings feel good in your soul. Last stage, attachment. Attachment is commitment. It's oxytocin and vasopressin. Oxytocin is the love hormone that produces safety and security. It's cuddling. It's a gentle caress on the cheek when you know exactly what they're thinking just by making eye contact. Lust is a kiss on the neck, but attachment is the kiss on the forehead. The same way your mama or your daddy kissed you on the forehead to make you feel safe and adored and secure. Vasopressin is the desire to stay, a strong emotional attachment to someone. You don't want to leave their side. According to Science Alert, women are more sensitive to oxytocin and men are more sensitive to vasopressin. After the lesson attraction passes, you have to decide whether or not you can attach to this person and be sustained. Music Soul Child said, I've learned in this life, you've got to be with someone you like. If you think we've got 
What it takes to go the distance, I can tell you now. Ah, yeah, ah, yeah, ah, yeah. (laughs) This is where folks either settle down, continue on as friends, or part ways entirely. This is often a decision that makes sense in your spirit. So in order to connect the Thanksgiving meal to love and celibacy, we got to go to the Bible. All right, God created sex, and he designed sex to be as pleasurable as it truly is. It is a single and unique experience that satisfies every aspect of our being simultaneously, body, soul, and spirit. It encompasses lust, attraction, and attachment. But God made sex a covenant act. The English language defines covenant as an agreement, but in the context of the Bible, a covenant is a sacred agreement or mutual promise between God and a person or a group of people. In the Bible, marriage is not a ceremony where people stand before a priest and exchange vows and put rings on. Matter of fact, there's not a single Bible verse that mentions the ring as a symbol of infinite love and devotion to each other or to God. That's something we made up for ourselves, a kind of symbol that tells other people we're committed to somebody else. What is biblical, though, is sex being the inaugural covenant act that results in marriage. How do I know? Well, the Bible tells me so. Let's go to Genesis. Genesis 24, Isaac brought Rebekah into the tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. Genesis 29, Jacob intended to marry Rachel, but Laban tricked Jacob that night by sending his other daughter Leah to Jacob, and Jacob went in to Leah and was now her husband. Even though Jacob really wanted Rachel, he had no choice but to accept Leah as his wife because he entered her. Deuteronomy 21, if a man sees a beautiful woman among captives and he desires to take her as his wife, he must allow her to mourn for one month. After this, he may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be his wife. The act of a man entering a woman is marriage in God's eyes. Take that in for a moment. Now ask yourself the next logical question. How many times have you been married in the sight of God? This is a no judgment zone. All right, enough about you. Let me share a little bit about me. I ended my last relationship a little over five years ago. And at that time, I decided to be celibate. God damn, girl, five years. I can't go three weeks. Now, I am no stranger to celibacy. Keeping it honest, the only two boyfriends I've ever had in my life fathered my children. I have always preferred quality over quantity. Being celibate the first five years was super easy because I literally had no time or energy to think about it. I was pregnant, lost my place, got a new place, had a baby, was in a wedding, changed careers, went back to school, entered the pandemic, purchased my first home. Who had time to think about sex? Not me, not Cristal. But in the past, there have been plenty occasions where I willingly put celibacy right out on the curb, especially knowing that I could just go ask God for forgiveness or repent and take full advantage of God's grace. How you know you were taking advantage of God's grace? Because I said things to myself like, God knows my heart. Giving it to lust is a lot like what happens when I'm tasting the food while I'm cooking it. I'm getting bits and pieces of everything while it's not yet ready, while it's still in the process of being prepared. And I'm hoping that it's good. And when it isn't good, I'm trying to make it good. 
Unfortunately, all of that tasting ends up sticking to my ribs, filling me up. And this is a lot like sex. I don't care if the sex is good or bad, it is going to stick with you. When everything in my life finally slowed down and the distractions were getting behind me, as in over this past holiday season, I felt the lonely creeping in. And I started to remember what it felt like just to be touched by a man. The world kind of laughs, scoffs at celibacy. You say the word celibacy and people are instantly confused in 2022. They can't understand or fathom it, even the believers. <laughs> when you've been celibate for a while, the smallest details trigger a lusty thought. For me, it's man veins. What is that? There is something about the way a man's veins wrap around his wrist and spread out over his hand that drives me crazy. Don't judge me. The point I'm trying to make is that it doesn't take a whole lot to go to the lusty place when you're feeling lonely. Anderson Pack referred to it as the balance of the stallion and the lion. For one wants to run free, the other's always hungry. And the truth is, you just you can't just walk into celibacy because you love God. You got to, like, plan for it. This ain't just the world I'm talking about. I'm talking to, this podcast is for believers. I'm talking to y'all out there. You got to know what triggers you, and you got to have a way of escape so that you don't get caught in a snare. When I was in high school, I made the decision to be celibate because I wanted to honor God. I wanted to live right. Making the decision to be celibate five years ago was less about how much I loved God because I never stopped loving him when I was busy getting it in, right? I still love God with all my heart. But I also love sex. So I was doing it. There's a thing that happens when you love God and continue to make decisions that don't line up with his word. Like when you want to live right, but you're not living right. And it happens when you find yourself in front of a mirror. Like right after the walk of shame, right? When you find yourself in front of that mirror, you suddenly feel the weight of the sin itself sit into your spirit. It's a crazy phenomenon, right? That happens. Psalm 16, 2 says, People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. And when you find yourself in that mirror and you're staring back at yourself, don't you kind of go through that cycle of, Ugh, I'm doing it again. You feel the weight of doing what you say you weren't going to do again. And love for God, for me, was enough to convict me, but it wasn't enough to compel me to change my behavior. So making the decision and sticking to it this go around is all about trusting God. I trust him with my life. I trust him with my children, my livelihood, my finances. Why wouldn't I trust him to prepare a man just for me? Doesn't he prepare everything else for those who love him? Let's see. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He prepares a ram in a bush for Isaac. He prepares a way of escape when temptation comes. He ought to be inclined to prepare a man just for me, right? And because I'm trusting God to prepare a man for me, I don't have to take nibbling bites off anybody. I'm done snacking. Remember when we was running around referring to men as snacks? Like, mm, he over there looking like a whole snack. Mm. <laughs> well, I'm done. I want the whole meal, and I don't want to be the one that has to do the work of preparing it. This go around, I'm going to let God be the chef. I'm trusting him to prepare a man like I prepare a meal for my children. God knows exactly what I like. He knows exactly what turns me on, good God. And I am trusting him to make all of those adjustments to every facet of this man's character while he is still yet perfecting him. 
right? While he is preparing the meal, God is doing all the tasting. He's going to make sure that it is pleasing and satisfactory for me. And if I know a little something about God, I know he's going to throw in a few things I didn't even know I would like and even a few things I didn't even know I needed. Stuff that pairs well with who I am, body, soul, and spirit. Why? Because when God prepares anything, it is always more than enough. So if you come looking for me, you will not find me in anybody's kitchen. I will be out in the wilderness because my character flaws require the holy hand of Jesus to adjust. Anybody that knows me know I can be a little stubborn about a lot of things. So I will be busy doing God's work, allowing him to adjust things about me, working up an appetite, and patiently waiting for God to call me to the table. And when he's all done preparing the meal and setting everything out, well-dressed, smelling good, and wonderfully made, mm -hmm, after we've gathered around, held hands, and gave thanks, I'm fitting to enjoy that meal when I want, how I want, and as often as I want. <laughs> and because God designed sex to release all neurochemicals associated with lust, attraction, and attachment, I trust that then and only then will it be most gratifying, greatly satisfying to my body, soul, and spirit. Y'all check up for Jesus or not? I hope you all laughed and learned something today from this episode of Check It For Jesus. I want to hear about the random happenings in your life that's got you wondering, Jesus, is that you? Get in my DM on the gram at Checking For Jesus or visit CheckingForJesus.com. If you like this episode, show some love in the ratings, tap the subscribe button, and put some wings on my hashtag, Checking For Jesus. Thank you for pushing play, and until next time, keep Check, 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 check it for Jesus.